When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over his head. This is the king of the Jews. Herein is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As you're seated, we dismiss our children for children's worship. And as our children leave, may we bow together and pray. We pray that on this, the last Sunday of this church year, we might hear the great mystery and be so caught by it, so, so enthralled by it, that we are transformed. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, any reasonable person could ask, of all the stories in the Gospels, why did the church pick Jesus dying on the cross for this reign of Christ Sunday? And the answer has always been that those who have opened eyes are able to see how it is that in the end, Christ does reign. The kingdom does come. What we say is that it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by violence. It's not by coercion. But rather by gracious, self-giving sacrificial love that is so beautifully encapsulated in this one little line. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This speaks of this primal, core love, this abundant love that is really the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. It's sacred. It's, it's this understanding and compassion that gets embodied in the word Forgive them. Forgive. For God surely recognizes that we human beings rarely know what we're doing. We rarely know what we're doing. So forgive us. We don't know what we're doing. We're blind to the consequences of our choices and the paths we take. And and God knows. God understands. The creator knows our limitations. The psalmist said God remembers how how we were made. God was there. God knows that we're made out of earth, dust, and love. That's what we're made out of. So at the core of life is this sacred understanding. Father, forgive them. They they, they don't know what they're doing. So when you hear this line from Jesus, I wonder, who do you assume that Jesus was talking to? To whom was... The phrase directed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Most of us assume, of course, that it's directed at the executioners, 
the guards, all the way up the chain, all the way up to Pilate and maybe even to Caesar. Forgive them, for they're killing me. I came into the world to bear love, and see, they're, they're unable to understand, and they're killing me. Forgive them, God, for that is bad. The crucifixion of the one who comes to embody love is a major sin. It's an error they, it, that needs forgiving. Forgive them. But when I step back just for a moment and think about the different players in that scene, I realize that really, in some ways, they are all cogs in a much bigger system. The guards, they're the low people on the totem pole. They're at the bottom of the pecking order. These are people who are throwing dice to see who can have the clothing of the man who they're executing. That's how far down they are. These are people who only have one other group that, they, that are below them, and that is the Jews, the people they're occupying, and especially this one who's being executed. So we're going to heap all our condemnation on this person. It's a story that gets told many times every day all around our world. They don't know what they're doing. They're just living their lives. They don't see the harm that their not knowing creates. They're just doing their job. Even the higher-ranking officers, those who maybe sit in the shade out away from the skull, away from the place of crucifixion, but they issue the orders to make sure that the, the, the threat to the system is executed and exterminated. They think they're de- they're, they are the deciders, but really they're just cogs in the wheel too. They don't see themselves as evil or hating, or being controlling. It's just their job, as the privileged ones, as the officers, to maintain control and to to execute the orders. They don't see the consequences. So if someone else sees the consequences and accuses them of being unjust or unfair, it doesn't compute. They don't see it that way. To them, they're just doing their day's work. So yes, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They did a terrible wrong and killing love made flesh, Jesus and the world. But when we acknowledge that they're cogs in this bigger system, they're not privy to the bigger picture that they, like the rest of us, just see a part. Remember Paul said, for now we see only in part. Someday we'll see fully, but right now we see through this mirror dimly. And any time people see only a part, then they don't know what they're doing. They, they don't notice the implications, the consequences. They don't realize they're breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. They don't realize that they're, they're violating the Beatitudes, that they're pulling the world in a direction that is opposite the direction that God wants the world to go. And evil enters into the world. Well, these 21st century, ver- 21st century version of these guards and officers of even Pilate and Caesar are among us today. 
In fact, it's us. We're, we're these people. Just doing our jobs. Playing our part. Pawns in a much larger picture. We don't see ourselves or position ourselves as aggressive or self-serving or racist or xenophobic or nationalistic. And we don't understand or see or even take much interest and concern in the consequences for other people. Or even the creation itself, the environment. Or the spirit of the time that we live in. These 21st century versions of the guards and officers of Pilate and even Caesar, they'll be with us on Thursday at the Thanksgiving table. They don't see themselves. We don't see ourselves as haters or as evil. Our actions may result in hateful things or evil things, but rather it's like what Jesus said. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind. We don't see. And so someone needs to come along to help them see. To bring it to their attention. How can they see? How will they know unless someone goes? Which brings me to the other group that I think Jesus may have been talking to when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You don't notice them in the scene at first because they're kind of hidden. They're behind the soldiers. They're even outside the circle of the supervisors who sit in the shade, way off, almost out of sight. You can see them. The disciples. The twelve. The ones Jesus trained to be messengers and carriers of this abundant wisdom of God. The, one that, the ones that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to. Remember that story? Jesus said to Simon Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and there he is in our center window the upper one he's holding a giant key it's a key to unlock how badly we are log in this world of conflict and anger and polarization to open the door and enter us welcome us into the kingdom what god wants for this world you see religions not it's not just about religion It's about life. The kingdom of God is God's dream for this world. Now, here and among us. And so Jesus called these followers. Where where are they? Where are the twelve? He he, he called them and said, don't be afraid. Whatever happens, don't be afraid. Just trust. I will give you the words to say. Don't be afraid. Where are they? Well, Judas has already given up. And the rest are hiding. They're saving their own necks. They're staying out of trouble. They're playing it safe. And that's been us. Many times we've avoided the fray. We didn't want to stick our necks out. We wanted to play it safe. Sure, every once in a while, one of us will kind of go all Simon Peter on everyone. And, you know just kind of be crazy for a minute and 
lash out. Do you remember the story where they came to arrest Jesus? The guards seized him and Simon Peter grabs a knife and cuts off the ear of one of the guards. I'm sure he felt pretty good in that moment. I've stuck up for God, man. I've defended God's honor. And I have a feeling on Thanksgiving Day there will be a lot of people who feel like they've got to go defend God's honor. Lash out on, at somebody. Lop off an ear for God. Maybe throw out a John Oliver line. Kind of start the conversation with saying, you know, Thanksgiving marks the only time in American history when fear of refugees coming and killing everyone actually happened. You could throw that out. (laughs) Just throw it out there and try it. Lop off an ear. Get some blood going. But then Jesus has to come behind you. Patch up the ear. Repair the damage. And say, man, you you didn't follow my teachings again. It's about nonviolence. Even verbal nonviolence. And I can hear him muttering to himself, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Listen, I understand passion when it comes to the gospel. I've lopped off many ears in my day. And I understand that in this time, we are called to speak the truth, God's truth, to everyone. To the guards, to the supervisors, to the officers, to Pilate, to Caesar, to anyone who support actions that are hateful and harmful and dehumanizing and evil. We have to say no. We have to be a voice. I understand that. We have to say no. When the oil company wants to put a pipeline across the sacred Native American grounds of North Dakota just because they want to or because they have the right to or because they have the clout to or because they think it's progress and I know they don't intend offense but it's wrong. It's just wrong. Is it legal? I don't know but it's wrong. And so how do we live in this world? Do you want to create a world Where might makes right. Is that the world you want to create? So we say no. We say no when they try to silence voices through voter suppression. We say no. We say no when in the name of national security we try to kick out other religions or other ethnic groups or treat people worse than cattle. And we say no. When efforts are made to try to make the poor be poorer, Take the safety net away. Ignore the unemployable. You know many people are unemployable. It's not just that there aren't jobs. They pay a living wage. Some people are just unemployable. What about them? Because Jesus said, what you do to them, you do to me. What you don't do for them, you're betraying me. That's me. You're crucifying me all over again. So I get it. No more hiding. We are called to speak Christ's gospel truth in the face of hatred and fear. But here's the kicker for me. 
we can't do any more of this Simon Peter take a knife and cut off ears thing. We've got to go about it in a different way. When he cut off the ear, Jesus said to Simon Peter, put your sword away. Man, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. You don't get rid of hatred by doing a hateful thing. You get rid of it by way of love. So I know there are times when we're called. We'll know when there are times when we're called to turn over the tables in the temple and say, thus says the Lord. There are times when, like John the Baptist, of whose birth we celebrated as bringing in this air of holiness and righteousness, that sometimes that doesn't look all churchy. That sometimes John's got to get up in Herod's face and call him a fox. Sometimes he's got to say to the tax collectors, don't take more than you're supposed to. To the soldiers, don't, don't extort. To those who have a lot of money, you've got to share. You've got to share. I know there are times like this. But most of the time, what Jesus did was embody love. He testified. He bore witness to what he saw, what he knew. This dream of God, he bore witness to it. He painted new and bedazzling pictures of God in people's imaginations. And he did so by telling stories, by healing people, by showing signs of God's abundance, feeding 5,000, turning water into wine. And at the end, he even used his body as the medium to paint this bedazzling picture of God. So this week, uh, we've been hearing from some of our friends who are racial justice advocates, they have a suggestion for us white progressive Christians. They've suggested, why don't you use Thanksgiving dinner as an opportunity to speak your truth about politics and race and blindness? Listen, I completely understand this urgency and this unique opportunity at Thanksgiving. And all I can say is if you feel led to speak Speak and let God work through you. I'll just speak for me and say, Thanksgiving Day will only be 16 days after the election. And I'm not sure I'm ready to speak wisely and lovingly and nonviolently. So we have to trust that when our time is here to speak, the Spirit will lead us and give us the words to say, Maybe it'll be a story. Do you remember the time that King David had taken what was not his to take? He took the wife of another man and actually had that man killed as a way to try to, to uh, get rid of the, all of the evidence. And the prophet Nathan had to come to the king. But his intent in coming to the king 
was not simply to shame him and blame him and call him hateful and evil, but rather it was to help him see. To help him see. So, he told a story. He told a story about a man who had a little pet lamb, a little sheep, used to be a house pet, used to sleep with him, used to eat off of his plate. But one day, a a rich man had a friend come to visit, and rather rather than take one of his sheep, he went to the poor man's house and took his pet lamb and used it for the meal. He told this story to the king so that when the king said, this person has done grave wrong, Nathan could say, king, you're the man. You're the one. And he heard it. He wasn't defensive. He, he, he didn't try to, to cover, cover up everything. He just said, I've sinned before God. I, I get it. I see. I realize what I've done. Thomas Merton said, don't focus on the results. Focus on the value and the rightness and the truth of the work and the word itself. So we, did, we do what Jesus mostly did. We testify. We witness. We embody with our lives. And we paint these new bedazzling pictures of God into people's imaginations. What could the world be like if we lived the dream of God now? How could we be different individually, as families, as a church, as a city, as a nation? We use stories. We use any means we can to communicate this gospel out into the world. And every time we do, every time we witness, the kingdom comes. God's will is done on earth as in heaven. The kingdom comes, and of this kingdom there will be no end. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May we see what is ours to see, and may we have the wisdom to speak bedazzling pictures of who you are, God. Continue to reveal yourself, your beauty and your truth, your rightness for all the children of the world, so that we might be bearers of your love now and always. In the name of Christ our King, we pray. Amen.